0: a bottle with you that morning. We blessed it with holy water, you see, and probably a couple of egg cupfuls in a bottle. And you just sprinkled, you know. You just sprinkled it on top of the stones and made the sign of the cross. You were burning what they used to say. You were burning the bones of the earth. That was the old saying. It was, it was a bloke that came up from Abbeyfield that I heard claim that <coughs> all the old lime burners of...
1: used to The process of burning limestone to produce quicklime is believed to have been developed over 2,000 years ago. Pliny the Elder, who lived in the 1st century AD, wrote about the production and the uses of it at that time. However, it is believed the process was known for at least two centuries previous to that. It traditionally had three popular uses. It was used in building as an ingredient in mortar and in plaster, and also in lime wash. It was also used in tanning, for cleaning the skin and for removing the hair, and in agriculture as a fertiliser to sweeten the land and also to neutralise acid in the soil. Burnt lime, or quicklime, also had a more sinister use, as illustrated in this poem. In Reading Jail by Reading Town there is a pit of shame, and in it lies a wretched man, eaten by teeth of flame. In a burning, winding sheet he lies, and his grave has got no name. And in this powerful verse, And all the while the burning lime eats flesh and bone away, It eats the brittle bone by night and the soft flesh by day, It eats the flesh and bone by turns, but it eats the heart away. That, of course, was Wilde's poem, The Ballad of Reading Jail, written while he was in Reading Jail, Uh, describing an execution he saw in the prison. Quicklime also made one, at least one, dramatic entry into Irish politics when a fist of quicklime was thrown at Parnell. This is how his wife Catherine described it. It was during one of these last meetings that someone in the crowd threw lime in the chief's face. It has been said the thing was a hoax and the substance thrown was flour. It was not flour, but lime. And had not Parnell shut his eyes in time he would undoubtedly have been blinded. However, in this programme, we are dealing with the practical and less dramatic uses of burnt lime. The lime was produced in kilns, always pronounced kills with the end silent. These were stone structures, shaped like a spinning top. The stone, limestone from the quarry, was fed in at the top, known as the mouth, and the finished product, the lumps of burnt lime, came out at the bottom, known as the eye. Wood charcoal, turf, column, a type of anthracite, and coke cinders were used at different times to burn the lumps of blue stone. When subjected to the full heat of the fire, the blue stone was transformed into white or greyish white lumps. These were lumps of lime, also known as quick lime or burnt lime. In this programme, we examine the life and work of a lime burner as seen through the eyes of two men, both lime burners. One is Marty McAuliffe of Lixna County Kerry. The other will be known in this programme as the Limeburner of Church Hill, an imaginary village somewhere between Mallow and Charleville in County Cork. The account here is based on a unpublished memoir. The reader is Thomas Dudley. I got a
0: job in, in Churchill quarry and the job was following a pony and butt, drawing the stones from the quarry up to the kill. I now had something... I never had as a farm worker, and that was... I now had a half day, and the wages were better. I had um, 25 bob a week. I was only there 12 months when I was shifted into Mallow to the two lime kills in the Nun's Walk. Just before I was shifted into Mallow, I used to have to work three days a week in Churchill, and I used to have to go to the other three days to Ballymac, clearing away the top of the quarry, clearing away the soil. Then I was going into Mallow from 1936 up to 1941. There was no quarrying in there, but there was a fellow with a higher lorry carting the stones from Churchill Quarry into the kills in Mallow, and the stones were all piled up. I was inside in Mallow one morning in the kill. I used to have to be in there at 8 o'clock, and I wasn't too long inside at all when this man came in. and I only knew him by eyesight. I knew that he was a mason. He came in anyway and he asked me could he take a measurement of the eye of the kill. Of course, it was equal to me. I said he could, of course. Anyway, I asked him. I knew that he was going to build a kill somewhere, but I asked him anyway and he said he was. I'm building a kill city in Churchill for a man by the name of O'Brien. We got about a week after, Murphy came in home one night and I up and told him about this bill from Ireland. That was his nickname. He was a native of Donner Ireland. He was a great mason. Coming and measuring the eye of the kiln, building a kiln, Churchill, for a man by the name of O'Brien. He had a Tadine says Murphy, now's your time. Look here. Go down a Sunday to Patcheen and mean They live down Chalavar side. I didn't know where Chalavar was says I I have no business going down there till he have it built anyway. And says he the sooner you go there the better. And in the meantime, says he, the Lord of Mercy and I always think of him for it. In the meantime, I'll have a talk with Jamine O'Connor. He was a farmer that lived up Mount North near um Ballymac, and O'Brien had all his land taken for tillage and grazing. And there was two or three of his daughters that were in charge of O'Brien's shops down the country. So I it passed off anyway, and about two or three months later, who come into the kill again, but Bill from Ireland. I asked him how he was getting on the kill, and he says, I have it built. I said, have he it started yet? No, said he. He's only opening the quarry, but he told me, he said, that he, a very decent man, that he'd be opening it after Christmas. Oh, my God, I was getting uneasy then. I thought in my own mind that I should go down and see about it. When I went home that night, who came in but Murphy? I up and told Murphy that the kill was built. You're a bad luck to you. He was a very rough, vulgar sort of man. He said, you're losing a good job. Do you think, he said, that uh, you could carry it on? Do you think see, that you could manage it? I think I said I'd have no bother about managing it. You know, he said, how much column you'd burn in a day or a week. And, you know, he started asking me questions like that. So I, I gave him an explanation of it. And he said he'd go up to Jimmy O'Connor tomorrow night if he'd take it on. One Sunday, I went to Ballymac Mass, 2nd Mass. And when I came home, Mam says to me, there was a Mr. O'Brien, says she, after coming, calling here looking for you about the lime kill. And he stopped about a quarter of an hour. He said he couldn't wait, but he'd call again at two o'clock. He used to call to take you down to have a look at it. So we got good enough, he came in the car. And with uh, Mulcahy. O'Brien was questioning me all the time ab- from Churchill about the tonnage of stone and about the amount of column born and all that kind of stuff, I was able to tell him, and he seemed to be quite satisfied about it. He told me from the start that he wasn't worried if he never sold lime, that he wanted it for himself, <coughs> for he had two farms in Ballymullen, he had all this land up the mountain, and of course, it was on the mountain, all this lime was wanted.
2: What did it do for the land? Well, it was supposed to be very good anywhere even uh, the uh, lot of that land now around Abbey Field and Mount Cullen, that grass was on the mountainy land that time and they used to put out, they used to mix the lime with, with um, the sand from Ballyabunnan out of the sand about at about 4 to 1 1 lorry of lime and 4 of the sand and they used to put that out as tops and to turn the grass blue so they used to claim anyway the farmers. O'Brien, who had given the job
1: to the Churchill burner, was a successful businessman and farmer. He also provided him with accommodation. In an old farmhouse near the Killen, the Limeburner and his family had half the house.
0: In a way, he brought me down and showed me the kill, took me down and painted a lovely picture about the lovely house that I'd been living in and who it was belonged to one time. Wright came down and looked at the house and he said... I have oaths, he said, inside it at the moment. We were caught, sh- short for storage, but he said, I'll have it cleared out and put in a lovely range there for you. That house hadn't been occupied for half a century or over it. The Tomies left it about 1911, just before the First World War. They left it and went down to Churchill House, and I was the first to occupy it after them. He had divided the house and he had another fellow who was in charge of the cattle living in the back portion of it. As far as I understand, that house had been built for the Tomies and they were all reared there. They were all reared there and we found at the back of the shutters in one of the rooms upstairs, they had the dates down where they were confirmed they had it marked. It was back in about uh, 1906 or 1907. Anyway, when we came out of the car and when he or Brian taken me into the kitchen he said well now he said I'll give you he said good wages to start off with I'll give you I don't want you to be working in the lime kiln all year you'll work during the winter months in the kiln, burn the lime and during the summer months I'll want you on the farm you can do farm work I'll give you two pounds ten a week on the farm but you'll have overtime and he said when you'll be burning the lime, I'll give you a pound a week extra. That was an awful jump, you know, from 30 bob a week. I was delighted about it. I was only there three or four months when O'Brien came over one Sunday and told me that there was a black Angus heifer on the land that was in calf, and that she was to be calving in such and such a length of time. And he said, you can have the use of her for the milk for the children. Yes, it was marvellous. It was a great jump great leap in the world. It was an awful jump for me now, you know, from one pound in a week and paying rent and no perquisites. So anyway, a fortnight after that that was the week before Christmas. Then Christmas came and he had it ready for January and it was Jackie Lucy that brought us down on a Saturday evening down to Fern House. The day before I lit it, I had to collect a lorry of waste timber. Well, that wasn't any bother. It was only a case of filling up the lorries with all this waste timber inside the carpenter's shed, and at the time they were only glad to get rid of it. Any of the blokes that was working with me didn't know and the faintest idea how it was going to start, but what puzzled them altogether? When I started filling the kiln with stone and the column without any fire in it, they were whispering between themselves, where the hell is he going to light it? Or how is he going to light it with the stones? No, the secret was, you see, that when you go to light a kill, you must have the timber up to the first cylinder, or have the cone full of timber at least. But you can half fill the kill if you like. It's to yourself. But if the timber is dry and you know you're going to have good fire, the cone will do you. And have the driest timber you can in the cone and then you must have the timber as level as you can and then the next thing you have to do, you have to cover the timber with stone, the raw stone, in one stone in height. One stone, not another stone on top of it. Only one layer of stone and it must be as level as possible and how you know it's level, the same ring of brick must be appearing all round. When you have that done, then you must put a light layer of column over that. The tops of the stones would still be sticking up through the column and then you count three rings of brick up and then you put in your next layer of stone three bricks in depth and then column again heavier coat. You'd have the stones just covered then with column and around by the side around by the brick and half an inch out from it you'd have it about an extra two inches of column around by the brick, but not against the brick. The idea of that is that brings the fire up the side quicker. It was very slow and difficult when you start off and when you're down 23 brick, 23 brick works out that you have six layers of stone, six threes are 18, and five brick will work out then the height of the column, you see. Well, we have one layer in, What are you going to do now, Tim? Are you going to light it? No. Anyway, we had the kill full about quarter past, or four o'clock, having started uh, after dinner. When Jimmy and Mulcahy was there, and Bill from Ireland, the man that built the kill, was there, he was supposed, of course, having built the kill, he was supposed to know how it was filled. Well, he gave me that impression anyway, himself and Moriarty. Anyway, I suggested to one of the men that he bring some of the stone from the heap that was broken outside to bring it in to help the lot that was broken inside so as not to wait until all the stuff was inside and gone into the kill. So the next thing was that um, I see Bill from Ireland going over to Jimin Bryan who was barrowing over the stones and he telling him that he should handle the stones into the barrow and not to bring in any of the brass or the small grit that was in between them. And Brian, when he brought over the Barrow of Stones, Mulcahy said to him, why don't you use a shovel, Jim? Mulcahy used to talk very fast, you know. And uh, says, that devil, he he, he, he he, says, told me I wasn't to bring any of the bross that would choke the kill. So I said nothing, but I just felt like going over and telling him to mind his own business. But I didn't know where I stood. He was there by instructions from Ryan, you see. Anyway, they were watching me all the time to know what I was doing. I came down when I had it full and I pressed the tire in, sort of edgeways under the eye, and I put in a fist of dry timber and threw threw, threw a a, a pint of tar on it and put a match to it. And in the course of about ten minutes, all the timber catching fire inside it, but what was puzzling them all together, there was no smoke coming out you know they thought that immediately it was lit underneath that smoke would be up there but there was no smoke came up that was the laughable part of it you see with the dry timber there was no smoke it was all ablaze but it was when the tire got rightly going it was then it started to smoke there was no smoke coming out of it until about uh, 10 to 6 and it was only just barely coming up around the sides then and, and until about uh, seven o'clock, and it was raining then, by the same token. There was a good volume of smoke about it. <laughs> Old Julia Dore, the Lord of she was passing home from Churchill with herself and Joe in the donkey in care, and when she went down to the lower bridge, her husband and Mick Canty, the Lord of they were at the bridge talking, and she said that the lime killer had kill on fire. I always think of old Mick Canty who told me. And she never called me anything after that only the lime killer.
1: Could you describe the the process like? when you when you cut the stone, what did you do with it then? When you brought it to the killing, what happened?
2: Uh, you started all killing with with tough. You put about two heart of the turf in the, in the bottom of the kiln, And you put a very light layer of anthracite for a start and a very small layer of stone. And you continued on then layer after stone of anthracite and stone until your kill was full. And you set fire two thin in the bottom and you would leave it resting for three or four days until the fire came to the came up. And you added on then layer after layer of anthracite and stone again and you, you might maybe for the first week after starting you mightn't get anything out of it but after that then you'll be drawing it and you might draw out a barrel of lime was five cubic feet you might get 20 barrels a day out of each kiln, when it would be gone right and you had no more there was no more setting fire to underneath you get that into the top and taken out underneath and that was the process None. It would take the fire usually about three days to make its way up.
0: It would be um, three days before you could take anything out of it for the simple reason that along with the lime being burned, it would take a certain length of time to cool and also as the timber was burned away. The kill dropped about four to five brick down and when that happened, that is when the fire came to the top, you, you filled the kill again with another layer of stones and a layer of column on that end. You had your kill full then. It meant you had the kill full from the corn up.
1: you pull up your 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 trousers and until i see your your legs please <laughs> yes yes it's it it's yes you you've had plastic surgery on your on your on your legs
2: i had an and an bought legs from the ankles to the knees yeah
1: could you explain how that happened
2: well it was christmas Eve morning about ten o'clock i was um uh, we were finishing out the kill for Christmas, we were leaving it out like you see and uh, I put in three or four barrels of, of anthracite on top to spread it around to burn out the top of the kill and the kill was stuck in the centre, there was a the cavity in the centre and when I was spreading the anthracite the kill went down and the flames came up and only for the help of the shovel I'd be burning inside it, and with the help of the shovel I got out we'll put. It was.
1: Uh, you were on top of the kiln. I was, yeah. Did the the you were standing on the on the on the lime on the stone,
2: yeah, on the stone, the, the, yeah. on the limestone, and it yeah.
1: collapsed under you.
2: It went. It collapsed for about four feet. That was four feet of the cavity in the centre of the kiln, and I didn't know that. And, and you and fell
1: down into the fire.
2: I went down with the with the stone under me, and the flames went up about. I don't know. That went up for a split second, you see. And uh, it was burned. I was there was no skin left in both legs from the ankle to the knee. I had to get plastic surgery in that much. Like, did it go past your knees? It did when doctor around there, but not
1: you weren't badly not burned
2: third-degree from it? the knees up. No, just from the knees to the
1: first degree. These were first degree burns on your on your feet?
2: Oh, yes, some from, there was no skin at all left there, from the knees to the ankles.
1: And w- what happened after that?
2: I was in, uh, the the Bonsacour Hospital in Tralee for a week, and, er, um, I couldn't do anything for me, of course, only the bandages that put on after I got in, they were left on, and, uh, the doctor in Tralee, Dr Hargan, he's dead now, a lot to mercy on him, here. He helped in a great way to get me uh, f- flown to England. Also a sister of mine that was married in England. And I was a man from... He used to run Western Airways in League Slip. A captain something, I can't think of his name now, but I had a plan from him for £100 and I was flown to Gatwick. And I was taken to the Queen Victoria Hospital in East Grinstead and I got the plastic surgery done there. I was there about four months. I came home and I'm all right.
1: You have had no ill effects?
2: No, except uh, in touch of all very coarse veins. That's all.
1: What did the farmers do when they took the burned limestone home from the killing?
2: Well, the, 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 they used to draw sand from Valley One and from the the shore, and uh, they'd cover the, the heap of lime with the, the with the sand, and uh, they'd leave it in, and the lime would be slacking and swelling under the sand, and they'd turn that, and. Uh, make what I call tapters out of it and they used to take that out in in the horse and car and spread it with shovels in the fields. And uh, they used to put it in tillage, put it out of ground and uh, and, uh, it was supposed to be very good for the land anyway.
1: How about whitewashing?
2: Oh, sure. There'd be uh, donkeys' cars and horses' cars and for barrels of lime and half barrels of lime for whitewashing houses because... Nearly every house in at that time was was a whitewashed house, and uh, where there'd be new house built, uh, even that wouldn't be whitewashed. The old house would be that being out house made of it, and it would be still kept whitewashed and well whitewashed. And uh, the pillars of the gates would be whitewashed, and the walls would be whitewashed. And there was to be a terrible sale for lime for whitewashing, more especially before before Christmas time, you see. That was the time you would have the most to the cell for for the whitewashing lime and also in the springtime.
1: Now, this burnt lime could be dangerous. People were known to lose their eyes as a result of uh, say whitewashing with it. And it was burning
2: hot It would burn, and burn if it if it and it was known to burn hair sheds in farmers. It would leave the kill and go on the house and car quite cold, but if they put it near hair or near the hairshed. When that would be a slackening, it would come to fire again and it was known to burn haysheds. This would be internal combustion, I suppose. I suppose it would the be, a, the, y- yeah.
1: The, the hay and the heat of yeah. the
2: lime. Yeah, it was known in our to burn at least two haysheds in farmers. I can't think of their names now, but uh, I remember it.
1: Over the years, the Churchill man learned something about quarrying. He learned how to use explosives. You use your own judgment about the amount of
0: gelignite needed. You take whatever length of fuse you need and stick one end of it into the detonator and then you have to squeeze it closed on the fuse. I remember often doing it with my teeth. Then you press the detonator into the top of the last stick of gelignite into the hole. On top of that, then you pour in fine dry soil or sand as packing. You see, that has to be packed in with a rammer. The rammer was made of timber. The idea was to make the packing as tight as possible. Nothing for it then, only light the fuse and you go as quick
1: as you could. The farmers were the principal buyers of lime. They used it as a fertiliser and there was a subsidy following it. There was a special technique for applying burnt lime to tillage land. The lime burner explains. A farmer usually had the lime taken by lorry to his farm. Well,
0: if the weather was wet then and the land was mucky, he had to he'd take it into the farmyard and store it or else leave it by the roadside and throw it off on the green along the road. That's if he couldn't store it in the yard or the lorry couldn't get it. If he could get uh, into the farm, he'd dump the lime in one spot with his own horse and butt, he'd then take it out in the tillage field. If he was putting it where he'd be having wheat or barley or oats, he'd make little heaps, about half a barrel in each little heap, and... He'd judge when that was slacked off. He'd just estimate how much of a space of ground that would cover. Sometimes he'd take away the topsoil from where he was going to make the heap, and by taking away the topsoil it was moist and the soil that he'd be after removing, he'd put that on top of the heap. So in a couple of days, if he didn't get rain, the whole thing was um, slacked off. He'd come along and spread it, then with a shovel, scatter it around. He'd have so many acres, say six acres of barley or whatever it would be, and there'd be so many barrels of lime to the acre. There'd be six or eight
2: barrels to uh, to the acre. Where
1: did you sell most of the lime? Where did it go to?
2: Most of the lime went to North Korea and West Limerick. Why was that? Well, I don't know. It was, was it. You see, you had lime kills in, in the other side of Tralee, Bally side, and they supplied that side of the county, more or less, you know, like, and all our lime went towards Abbeyfield, Dewar, uh, Newtown Sands, Tarburton, M- Mount Collins, all those places, like.
1: The Churchill men had an eye for profits and advice his employer On the subsidies? The first
0: year O'Brien opened the kill, he was only in touch with the Cork County Council as regards the subsidy, but then I suggested that he get in touch with the Limerick Council for the simple reason why they were giving a bigger subsidy for the farmer. The farmer in County Cork was only getting one and six a barrel, the farmer in County Limerick was getting two and six a barrel. And O'Brien was the lowest priced lime producer in either Cork or Limerick. So when he, when he began to advertise and the line began to advertise itself, it was then uh, it started to open up. Now the best customer, one of the best, he was the best, and that was the uh, Lord Muskerry, that lived in Drumcolher, and he must have had uh, five or six hundred acres of land, and he took so many ton of lime every year until he had the whole lot limed. And every time he came for to give an order for the lime, all I had to do was, when I had the lime ready, was to send him a card and let him know when to come for it. But it was always a pound, a pound tip. He was about, I think he told me at that time, about 75, and uh, it would be two years after he came round again looking for the lime, and we weren't burning at all. And when I shook hands with him, His hand was the same as if you caught a cold stone. And he died uh, about three months after. The first year that he took lime from me, he took 18 ton of it and uh, they put it all in a heap in the middle of some field. Anyway, it was after raining for a day and a night and, of course, all the outside of it was uh, slacked off. But the cows... Anyway, the following day, the cows were... uh, running from the flies in one cow didn't she run into the middle of it and couldn't get out of it and all her other got burned. At the time she was valued for a good price, about 50 pounds. She died from the effect of the heat, couldn't get out of it, you know. They came with lorries and they came with tractors and trailers and they came with horse and butt and they came even with donkeys and carts. And the way they took it in the donkey's cart, they took it in bags, a barrel in each bag. The only fellow on a bicycle would be Tommy Murphy from Churchill. He'd want a stone or um, half a stone of it for whitewashing. For whitewashing, sixpence worth, a shilling's worth. I cut out the sixpences, and then I I wouldn't accept anything less than a shilling because they'd expect as much for sixpence as they would for a shilling. The meanest man I ever met was um, a man, uh, Jackie Mulcahy's father, the Lord of Mercy, he used to come every year for two barrels of lime and what the two barrels of lime was for was for whitewashing all the stalls and the outside houses when the cattle were out and if there was any stones left over out of the barrel from any lime that was badly burned he'd bring back them stones the following year. Occasionally there'd be a lump in it you know that wouldn't be fully burned and of course When any lime that was in it would melt out, the stone would remain in the centre and he used to bring back. There would sometimes be half a dozen or a dozen about the size of a cup or smaller, but he'd always bring them back in the old tin barrel, old tar barrels we used to call them. He'd bring them stones back when he'd arrive in with the old donkey and cart. The first thing he'd do when he'd paid for it and he had his receipt, he'd turn the old barrel sideways... And he'd throw out the heap of stones and he'd say, I want an extra shovel for them. The only other complaint I had was from a fellow by the name of Colity, and he was from Fina. And he was always complaining, complaining about if he found any stones in it. I got vexed with him one time, and he said he was after taking two lorries of lime, that was 12 tonne of lime. He had three farms and a subsidy for each farm. Well, I said, I don't think I said that there is yet a lime barn or ever barn that out of 12 or 15 tons of lime that he wouldn't find a stone. So I was right there, of course.
1: As a man who's experienced in this, w- would you regard it as
2: hard work? Oh God, there isn't any doubt about that. It was it was very hard work. Uh you, you, after the drawing out of the lime underneath the kill was, was the was the part of it. It was there got the dust and if I, if we were long enough for that the, the the blood would come off come from the inside of our nostrils. Right? But uh, Against that and again it, it didn't ever kill anyone. Because there was very old men that worked it all their lives and they lived to be very old and healthy men. And uh, after giving the data you could go out to the pub and you uh, got you would drink three or four pints and relish relish 'em. And when you would come home and uh, go to bed that night your nerves wouldn't trouble you. You would sleep sound, it was hard work. From my own experience i actually say it was the hardest job a man could do
0: the heaviest work, because you were shoveling stone all the time and lime. I bought six tonnes of lime in a day, so I shoveled six tonnes. I shoveled 12 tonnes because every tonne of lime I shoveled out from the eye. I shoveled most of it back into the lorries again. You shoveled it twice. You shoveled it out and you shoveled it into the trucks and you shoveled stone and column in above into the mouth of the kiln. You you, were working off your arms all the time. It was a thirsty job, especially coming in summertime. It was. You, you had to persevere because the more liquids you drank, the more you perspired. So that uh, you shouldn't give way to it. It was always said he'd drink as much as a lime burner. That meant that all those old lime burners in times gone by, they used to drink a lot. There was also a saying in times gone by that uh, he was dry. As as dry as a lime
1: burner. The lime burner, of course, he was always in dust and heat. The lime burner's work was hard, but there were small compensations.
0: I remember one time Jack Moriarty of Newtown came with a lorry for a load of lime. He used to play at full-back for Newtown on their hurling team. And, of course, he had the job of pucking out the ball in the game. So I noticed him watching me out of the corner of his eye as we were shoveling into the lorry. So he says to me that this should be great exercise for the arms, great for a fellow like himself who'd play hurling, and, you know, he's a strong man himself, but he couldn't believe how a small little man like me could pitch the line without any bother, from the eye of the kill
1: right out to the front of the lobby. The Limeburner's employer, O'Brien, died in 1947, and the farms were bought by Mrs Morn, an Englishwoman with bloodstock interests. The change of ownership was to have repercussions for all the employees.
0: must have been in October or November of the year Patrick O'Brien died that old Mrs Morton bought the farms at Anna and took over the kill. She paid £15,000 for the three farms. She came up to me in the kill herself and Jim O'Brien and he introduced introduced me to her and uh, told her that I was in charge of the kill and all that. And everything was all smooth and lovely and, oh, yes, you can carry on and all this kind of stuff. But she never questioned me at all about the terms. She went way back to England then. She started objecting that I wasn't entitled to all that simply because I was an industrial worker, that I couldn't be indulging in all these concessions that I had off the farm and that I was putting expenses on the farm, the milk of a
1: cow and a quarter of ground and all the vegetables I needed, the dispossession of the old lime burner was symbolic of the times, because the end of the lime kilns was at hand. coloch Shukra Erin, the Irish sugar company, was set up in the 1930s, and two products were essential for the success of the new industry. Beet, to make the sugar, and lime, to till the soil. To service their needs, the old kiln system was much too slow. So to ensure a continuous and steady supply of lime, the company opened quarries and set about processing, delivering and spreading the lime. They introduced the new technology of stone crushing, and ground limestone, the stone crushed into a greyish white powder, replaced the traditional quicklime. In the late 40s, the final blow to the kilns was struck, when the subsidy for burned lime was withdrawn. The fires were now extinguished, and the old lime burners turned their backs on the traditional and ancient way of producing lime.